This is Pastor Stuart McCollum from the Altoona Bible Church greeting you. The warm-hearted church with a heartwarming message, the family church. In light of the coronavirus pandemic, we will be bringing you a special service. Sing with us, pray with us, enjoy the music, and follow the message in God's Word. The choir will open our service by singing Trust in You.
we now have John Harris singing, Oh, Rejoice in the Lord, with Jesse Nagel accompanying on the flute. shall come. 
now Joshua and Stephanie McClellan will come and sing, Let the Waters Rise. Don't know where to begin, it's like my world's caving in, and I try but I can't control my fear. Where do I go from here? Sometimes it's so hard to pray. So far away, but I am willing to go where you want me to. God, I trust you. There's a raging sea right in front of me, wants to pull me in, bring me to my knees. So let the waters rise if you want them to. I will follow you, I will follow you, I will follow you. I will swim in the deep, cause you'll be next to me. You're in the eye of the storm and the calm of the sea. Never out of reach God, you know where I've been You were there with me then You were faithful before You'll be faithful again I'm holding your hand There's a raging sea Right in front of me Wants to pull me Yeah. 
Here now is Buddy Hand and Jeremy Hetrick playing Be Still My Soul on the trumpets.
Now we have Larry Grable coming to sing, I Go to the Rock. I go when there's no one else to turn to who do I talk to when no one wants to listen who do I lean on when there's no foundation stable I go to the rock I know that's able I go to the rock I go to the rock of my salvation, go to the stone that the builders rejected, run to the mountain and the mountain stands by me. The earth all around me is sinking sand, on Christ the solid rock I stand. When I need a shelter, when I need a friend, I go to the rock. Where do I hide till the storms have all passed over? Where do I run to when the winds of sorrow threaten? Is there a refuge in the time of tribulation? When my soul needs consolation, I go to the rock. I go to the rock of my salvation, go to the stone that the builders rejected, run to the mountain, and the mountain stands by me. The earth all around me is sinking sand, on Christ the solid rock I stand. When I need a shelter, when I need a friend, I go to the rock. I go to the rock of my salvation, go to the stone that the builders rejected, run to the mountain, and the mountain stands by me. The earth all around me is sinking sand, on Christ the solid rock I stand. When I need a shelter, when I need a friend, I go to the rock. I would like to thank all our musicians and singers for providing us with such beautiful music and inspiring music during this time. I trust this Christ-centered music will encourage you during this pandemic. I encourage you to continue to pray for our country and for our fellow citizens. The topic of our Bible study tonight is the Book of Acts, the transitional nature of the Book of Acts. The dictionary definition of transition is movement, passage or change from one position, state, stage, subject, concept to another. What do I mean when I'm talking about that the book of Acts is a transitional book? Before we look into this study, I want to affirm the doctrine of inspiration. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Voltaire, who is a French philosopher and historian, said, If we would destroy the Christian religion, listen to these words, we must first of all destroy man's belief in the Bible. 
attack on the Bible, the Word of God is nothing new. Satan attacked the Word of God in Genesis 3. Yea, hath God said that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Then he said, you shall not surely die. The Bible contains 66 books written by God through some 40 different human authors, and it was written over a period of some 1,600 years. The English word inspiration means the act of breathing. Figuratively, the word means imparting of emotion or mental or spiritual influence. Theologically, it involves the Word of God. It involves the supernatural divine will involving the words. The writers of the words which guarantees the absolute accuracy of their writing. And again, the issue is not the writers, it's the words. The expression given by the inspiration of God in the Greek language is one compound word which means God breathed. This verse does not mean that the scripture is inspiring or that it imparts an emotional, spiritual influence upon its readers, although of course it does, that's true. But rather, this is a reference to the origin of scripture. It's God-breathed, it's expired and not inspired. The scriptures came into being by the breath of God. Just as God breathed into man's nostrils and he became a living soul, so in like manner God breathed in the writers the very word of God and brought into being the inerrant, infallible word of God. The issue with inspiration is not the writers themselves, but the word of God, the words. Matthew chapter 4 talks about the words that proceed out of the mouth of God. There's no error in the Word of God. All parts of the Bible are equally inspired, and we believe and confess in verbal, verbal plenary inspiration. There's no degrees of inspiration. The Bible is like no other book. Not just parts of it are inspired, not the thoughts, not even the writers. The issue, again, is the words. God gave the words to the human authors, not violating their personality, their intelligence, their vocabulary, their individual style. They recorded it, thus becoming the very Word of God. Inspiration means God breathed. Inerrant means that the Bible has no errors. And also we see the word all. That refutes partial theory. Scripture means the writings, the words, not the thoughts. God breathed. It comes from the source of God. And since we have an inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God, we have an authoritative Bible. The Bible is totally reliable. We must anchor our doctrinal beliefs in the Word of God and it rightly divided. We must allow the Bible to be our guide. And we must submit to the authority of Scripture rather rather than Scripture submitting to us. Psalm Psalm 138, verse number 2. I will worship toward the holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Also, we affirm the doctrine of preservation. Psalm 12, verse 6 and 7. The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth. Purified seven times, thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. God did not preserve the idea, the concept, the the thoughts, the teachings of the Bible. God preserved the very words. No other book has ever been the object of such antagonism as the Bible. In both ancient and modern times, kings and others have tried to desperately destroy it. 
Unbelieving intellectuals have tried to ridicule and refute it. Untold numbers of copies have been burned and mutilated and hosts of its advocates persecuted and killed. Yet today, in the 21st century, there are numerous copies of the Word of God that we have the Word of God in our own English language. God has preserved the Word. The dictionary definition of the word preservation is the activity of protecting something from loss or danger, the condition of being preserved. There are no lost books of the Bible. There are no lost epistles. There are no lost scripture. God's divine will was to preserve his word through numerous copies. There are numerous copies of the word of God, not just one original. The preservation of the scriptures, the word of God, like the divine care over the writing of them, over the formation of them into the can, is neither accidental, incidental. It is a fulfillment of divine purpose and the promise of God. First Peter chapter 1, verses 23 to verse 25, being born again not of the corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is the grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Revelation is from God to man. Inspiration is from man to the paper to the word of god the word of god is totally inspired it's god's word inspiration as we said involves the words not the writers preservation is what happened to those words god has preserved them forever illumination and we see the doctrine of illumination back in first corinthians chapter 2 verses 9 through verse number 12 illumination is from the pages of the bible to man's heart and to man's mind illumination the act of illuminating the state of being illumined a source of light. And we understand that illumination, the doctrine of illumination is available to every believer. Since the truth of God's words, divine origin, it requires divine enablement to understand it. Illumination is a continuous process. It has to do with the understanding of the truth, God's truth, the scripture of all truth, to understand the very word of God. And with illumination, this is what God wants. And that's why we see like a verse of scripture, like 2 Timothy 2.15, we're to study. We have to study the word of God. God, the Holy Spirit, works through and uses the word of God. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. God's message to the unsaved whose minds are blinded, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, who are alienated from the life of God, Ephesians 4, 18, is to believe and trust the Lord Jesus Christ your Savior. He is the only way and means anyone can be saved and have the promise of the eternal glory. Only through Christ and by faith alone. God's message to all believers is to take the very inspired, preserved word of God. Read it. Study it so that you will grow in the knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. In years after your salvation, do you know more and more about the knowledge of God, about the Word of God? Are you growing in the Word of God? And in light of this pandemic, that's why we need to understand God's Word, God's Word rightly divided, because I'm sure there's people who believe that this is Armageddon. We know what's going on in our country, in our own county and in our state you know there's precautions there's concerns but it's going throughout the whole world and some may think that we're in armageddon this is not fulfilling armageddon this is not fulfilling bible prophecy it's horrible absolutely we need to continue to be praying for each other and praying for our country 
But if we understand God's word, we understand where we're at in the dispensation of God's grace. And if we don't, then we're going to fall prey to false teaching and false doctrine. So let's go back to our beginning of our series and our thought, the transitional nature of the book of Acts. In speaking of the transitional nature of the book of Acts, we don't mean that the nation of Israel gradually changes into the body of Christ. We here at the Altoona Bible Church, we're, we're dispensationalists. We believe that God does not change in relationship to himself, to his divine attributes, but his dealings with mankind have changed. We do not believe in replacement theology. The body of Christ does not become spiritual Israel. There are the twofold program of God. God's dealing with the nation of Israel. God's dealing with the church, the body of Christ. We believe that the church, the body of Christ, began as a complete and new creation of God. And in this sense, there is no transition. Because there's absolutely a difference between the nation of Israel and the church, the body of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, we would emphasize, yes, you're going to see the word church in Matthew 16, 18, or Acts two forty seven. But the word church there, ecclesia, simply means the called out ones. It is only through the Apostle Paul do you ever see the words, the phraseology, the church, the body of Christ, or Christ is the head over the church. What does this transition involve? You have the completion of revelation concerning the dispensation of God's grace resulting from God writing through the Apostle Paul and the passing away of those things which characterize the Pentecostal dispensation which are mentioned in the first epistles to the Corinthians. For until the scriptures for the church, the body of Christ was completed, there was need in each assembly for those with the gifts of prophecies, tongues, or interpretation of tongues to receive and transmit to the church revelation from God, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. The revelatory gifts passed away, and when you have the completion of God's word through the Apostle Paul, we see now and then these gifts stop. So there is a transitional aspect of the book of Acts. Let's look at and keep thinking about this. In the Old Testament, he had 39 books from Genesis to Malachi. The last prophetic book of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. The last historic book is the book of Nehemiah. And then we know there's 400 silent years to Christ. You have then the earthly ministry of Christ to the nation of Israel. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And then we have the book of Acts. And then you have the 13 epistles of the Apostle Paul, Romans to Philemon. And then you have Hebrews to Revelation. What if, after the four Gospels, instead of the book of Acts, there was the book of Romans? And let's say the book of Acts was, it was moved and it was the position right before the book of Revelation. You might be thinking, what would that matter? That wouldn't matter. Think upon these words, Matthew chapter 15, verses 21, down through verse number 28. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan, she is a Gentile, came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. 
But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the children or from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou will. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. That is one of the two recorded times that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to a Gentile. And she understood. The Lord calls and refers to her as a dog. And she says, yes, right, Lord. The dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the, cho- the master's table. And who are the children? The, the children are the nation of Israel. And sh- as a Gentile, she was being blessed through the nation of Israel. And that's why the Lord says, great is thy faith. Well, compare that to Romans chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. And there are other verses of Scripture that we can consider. That all of a sudden now we see Gentiles are being saved. Romans 3, 22 and 23. Even the righteous of God, which is by the faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Gentiles are being saved. Churches, Gentile churches are being established in cities like Rome and Corinth and Colossae and Ephesus and Thessalonica and Philippi, the regions of Galatia. There's a plurality of of churches. We know Galatia is not a city. It's a region. Berea, Laodicea, Hierapolis. And where are these churches at? They're the very epicenter, the beginning of the church, the body of Christ is where? What is modern-day Turkey? And then you think of cities like Thessalonica or Philippi, and, and that, the, the gospel's moving west, and that, of course, is, is Greece. And you go further west, and the Apostle Paul was, was sent to Rome. And we know there was a church at Rome, and the book, one, one of the six epistles that was written during the Acts period is the book of Romans. So during the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ only spoke with two Gentiles. Matthew chapter 8, you have the Roman centurion. In Matthew 15, you have the Syrophoenician woman. John chapter 1 verse 1, 11 says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. John chapter 4 verse 22 says, You worship, you know not. For we, for we know what we worship, for the salvation is of the Jews. The salvation is of the Jews. The earthly ministry of Christ to the nation of Israel is the salvation of the Jews, and he was not sent, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then you see the book of Acts. And again, the book, you have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then you have the Paul's epistles, Romans, over to Philemon. In the book of Acts, you have the issue of water baptism. Clearly speaking in tongues. Healings. Miracles. Think upon how the book of Acts begins and how it ends. Acts chapter 1 through the 12th chapter. It's all about Israel. It's about Peter being the head apostle, and then you see the other apostles, and we know that Matthias has replaced Judas. It's seen in the city of Jerusalem, and it's about the kingdom program. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, and when they were there, come together. They come together, they asked of him, this is of his disciples. Remember, because the Lord Jesus Christ following his death, burial, and resurrection is on earth 40 days teaching, 
concerning the kingdom. And they said they are asking him, saying, Lord, will, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, verse 7, It's not for you to know the times or the season which God hath put in his own power. Then if you consider Acts chapter 13 through Acts chapter 28, it's about the body of Christ. It's about the Apostle Paul. Peter's name does not appear after Acts chapter 15 in the Jerusalem Council. What, what happened to Peter? And it's not about the city of Jerusalem, it's the city of Rome. That's where the book of Acts ends. Paul enduring his first Roman imprisonment. It's not about the kingdom program, it's about the mystery, the church, the body of Christ. And as I said, in the Acts period, there were six church epistles were written. Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. And the book of Acts begins... In Acts chapter 1, verse 1 and verse number 2. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. And the former treaties, compare this and go back and read Luke chapter 1, verse 1. The former treaties is the book of Luke. And as it were, the book of Luke speaks specifically dealing with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll just read to you Luke chapter 1, uh, verse number 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 1, For as much as, as many have been taken in hand, set forth a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. And then we read down in verse number 3, It seemed good to me also, having perfect understanding of all things, from the very first to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instruction. Instructed, And so the book of Luke is a former treatise that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Verse 2 says, Under the day in which he was taken up. And of course, that's his ascension. After that, after that time, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. The book of Acts is referred to by some as the Acts of the Apostles. Some will even go as far to say that the book of Acts is the one book that, of the Bible that's still being written today. Well, that, that's ridiculous. That's wrong. First of all, it's more than just the Acts of the Apostles. It's really, when you read verse number 2, it's the act of the Lord Jesus Christ through the Apostles whom he had chosen. And the book of Acts abruptly ends. The book of Acts does not record everything about the life of the Apostle Paul. It ends with his first Roman imprisonment. But that's not the end of the ministry of of Paul's. Because we know that he will be released. He will, under inspiration, write 1 Timothy and Titus, and he does more traveling. He's going to go to the island of Crete. We know that by reading Titus chapter 1. And then ultimately, he's rearrested, he's brought back to Rome, and Second Timothy is God's last epistle through the Apostle Paul, and we know that he will meet his martyrment then. And because he's a Roman citizen, folks, he could not be crucified, but he was beheaded. So the book of Acts is not just the Acts of the Apostles, it's the Acts of the Lord Jesus Christ to the Apostles whom he had chosen. It begins with the twelve, but it's going to end with the one, the one apostle, the apostle Paul. 
And what we have to understand as well, because a lot of dispensationalists, a lot of believers, will put the beginning of the church, the body of Christ, in Acts chapter 2, on the, on the day of Pentecost. And they do this for several reasons. But what is the true genesis, the true beginning, the true commencement of the church, the body of Christ? In other words, when did the church, the body of Christ start? And this is so important to understand. Because when you're dealing with the book of Acts and under trying to understand its transitional nature, that is, it begins dealing with a king and a kingdom, and we will see, and we can show you in Acts 3, that through the apostle Peter, the kingdom is offered. It's going to be rejected. And God is going to bring in a new revelation of the body of Christ. And, and that is why if you read Acts chapter number 12, there's a very important, significant event. There's a significant event in Acts chapter 7 with the death of Stephen. Because the reality is, really, there, there are three deaths. There's the death of the, John the Baptist, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the death of Stephen. With, with the death of John the Baptist, the nation of Israel allowed it to happen. With the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died for the sins of the whole world, who died for their sins. They demanded that he be crucified. Pilate was ready to release him. They said, crucify him, crucify him. And then with Stephen in Acts 7, without permission from Rome, they simply stoned him. And then over in Acts chapter 12, what do we have? It begins in Acts chapter 12, verse 1, with these words. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. He killed one of the twelve apostles. The number of the twelve is down to eleven. Remember what Peter did with Judas, and Judas was an unsaved person, we know that. But he, re- he sought to replace him and replace him with Matthias. And now in Acts chapter 12, James is killed. He's killed with a sword. The apostle Peter doesn't seek to replace him and seek for another replacement. God's program is, is changing. It's going to change. And then you read verse 3, because he, Herod, saw it please the Jews. They were pleased when one of their fellow individuals, fellow citizens, a fellow Jew was killed by a Roman. It pleased the Jews. He proceeded further to take Peter also, the day, and these then were the days of unleavened bread. And he he had wholly intended to kill Peter also, but we know there was a miraculous deliverance by God from the jail, and Peter escaped. But it's important because people believe that the church begins when you get to Acts. They believe that the church, the body of Christ, begins in Acts 2. It doesn't begin there. Well, what is the true beginning? What, what is the historical beginning of the church, the body of Christ? And I know there'll be people who say, well, Pastor, you, you didn't read Acts 2.47 because the word church appears there. I know it does. It's the word ecclesia. means the called out ones. That same word appears in Matthew 
chapter 16. Oh, incidentally, if you turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 7, and you read here in Acts chapter 7, uh, verse number 38, this is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel who spake to him in Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles given unto us. So if you believe that the word church, every time the word church appears in the New Testament, has to be the body of Christ, then it didn't start in the book of Acts. You'd have to start it in the wilderness, according to Acts chapter 7, verse 38. And of course you would disagree with, anyone would disagree with that. The word, the word ecclesia means the called out ones. It's talking about Israel. We don't have time to cross-reference the book of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12, with Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is the word congregation. Over in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12, it's the word ecclesia, it's the word church. Israel is a church, it's the called out ones. So when you read over in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 about the churches existing during the tribulation, what do people make it to be? Schofield Study Bible and others believe that it's church ages. That's not what the Bible is called church ages. That's that's man's doing. Those are future churches during the, that will be in existence during the tribulation time. So we need to think about when the church, the body of Christ, started. The body of Christ is not spiritual Israel. The covenants and promises God made to Israel will be literally fulfilled through the nation of Israel and not through the church, the body of Christ, because God is not totally done with the nation of Israel. The more commonplace, it's not to believe that it began in the Old Testament, it's not to believe it began during the earthly ministry of Christ, but on the day of Pentecost. And one noted theologian gave the following four reasons why the church, the body of Christ, started on the day of Pentecost. And the reasons were Christ's death. It was after Christ's death after Christ's resurrection, after Christ's ascension, and then you had the coming of the Holy Spirit. Well, do these four reasons truly prove that the church, the body of Christ, started in Acts chapter chapter number 2? No. These four reasons only confirm that the body of Christ could not have started before that position, before Acts 2, and not that it began on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Our God has to be the absolute authority of the Word of God. Any of our doctrinal beliefs should never be based upon traditions of man or human reasoning. Our doctrine must be based upon the inerrant, the infallible, rightly divided Word of God. And that's why we began, that is why we began with this speaking upon the doctrine of inspiration, preservation, and the doctrine of illumination. The following reasons are scriptural reasons as why the church and body of Christ could not have started on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was one of the seven annual feast days that God gave to the nation of Israel. Leviticus chapter 23, verses 15 to verse 22. The other feast days of Israel included Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, trumpets, the day of atonement, tabernacles. Three of these feasts, unleavened bread, Pentecost, and tabernacles, required the Jews to come to Jerusalem to present themselves before the Lord, Deuteronomy 16.16. And this would explain why there were Jews at Jerusalem from all the countries in Acts chapter 2, verse 9 through 11, on the day of Pentecost. 
And again, there were, there were, no, there were no Gentiles saved in the day of Pentecost. In the Old Testament, the day of Pentecost went by the name, the Feast of Weeks, Exodus 23, 16. The first fruits of the Weast of Harvest, Exodus 34, 22. And the Feast of Weeks, Deuteronomy 16, 16. Pentecost means 50th. And it occurred 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits of the Resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pentecost was actually an agricultural feast that involved the harvest of the land. This harvest included a threefold aspect, which was for the owners, the poor, and the strangers. Leviticus 23, 22. The day of Pentecost in Acts 2 was a harvest not of the land, not an agricultural harvest, but it was an attempted harvest of the nation of Israel, of the soul of the nation of Israel beginning in Jerusalem. And it had a precise order, a threefold aspect. Jerusalem, Judea the owners, Samaria the poor, and the uttermost parts dealing with the Gentiles the strangers. They were to begin at Jerusalem because this is where the temple is located. Israel, the promised children of God, were blessed first. Mark chapter 7, verse 27, Acts three twenty-five and 26. The Gentiles were to be blessed through the nation of Israel. The feast had two wave loaves. Here, those who would teach this represents the body of Christ, Jew and Gentile. However, the church, the body of Christ, is the one new man, Ephesians 2, 15, and is the one bread, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17, and is not two wave loaves. The number for the church, the body of Christ, is absolutely one. The main speaker on the day of Pentecost was the Apostle Peter, Acts 2.14. He was the leader of the twelve apostles. Peter's name always appears first, and Judas Iscariot's name always appeared last in, in all the recorded listing of the twelve apostles. The Apostle Peter was only speaking to the Jews. Read Acts 2.14, Acts 2.22, Acts 2.36. They had come to Jerusalem in obedience to the laws, we said. There was no Gentiles present on this day, and there were no Gentiles saved. What is the body of Christ? It's Jew and Gentile joint heirs in a body. While the Apostle Peter spoke to the nation of Israel, he used the phrase, the last days, Acts 2.17. These would be very odd and strange words if this was supposed to be the beginning of the church, the body of Christ. During the Apostle Peter's first Pentecostal message, he stated this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel, Acts 2.16, going back to the Old Testament prophecy and prophet Joel. The church, the body of Christ, is not a part of prophecy, nor can its message be found with Israel's prophets in the Old Testament. The church, the body of Christ, was a mystery until it was revealed to the Apostle Paul. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be the fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Those who were saved were added to the church, Acts 2, 41 and 47. The word added suggested suggests that there was a church already in existence so that they were added to an existing church, Matthew sixteen eighteen. If the church was already in existence, how could the day of Pentecost be the beginning of the church, the body of Christ? And some suppose that since the word church, ecclesia, is used, it must mean the body of Christ. We were talking about this previously in the, in the message. The word ecclesia means the called out ones. The word church appears 115 times in the New Testament. 
The word ecclesia was used to describe an assembly of people in Ephesus, Acts 19.32. Read these verses of Scripture. Acts 19.39 and verse 41. And it's not a reference to an assembly meeting to worship God. The Lord Jesus Christ talked about a church, Matthew 16.18. The word church, ecclesia, is a Greek word and not a Hebrew word. That's why the word church does not appear in the Old Testament. Yet Israel, as we said before, Israel in the wilderness was called a church, Acts 7.38. And by comparing Psalm 22.22 with Hebrews chapter 2, you can further see Israel being a church. Peter, the apostle, did not use the term and the words and the phraseology of the church, the body of Christ, the day of Pentecost. In fact, this term was never used by Peter in any of his two epistles. It's exclusively a Pauline term. It's a Pauline term that is only found in the Pauline epistles described the church. And this is not found outside. This is not found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's not found anywhere from Hebrews over to Revelation. Peter's message included water. Baptism is a requirement for salvation. Of course it did. He's following what Christ said in, in Mark 16, 15, and 16. But this is not our message. Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He's not saying baptism is a testimony, it's for the remission of sins. Paul's message does not include baptism for a requirement for salvation. Ephesians 2.8.9, the Apostle Paul's message of grace and salvation by grace alone through faith is the gospel message for us and not Peter's message. If you believe the church began in Acts chapter 2, is that the message you believe that should be preached today? And most people say, of course not. That's why to understand the transition, the transitional nature of the book of Acts, and got maybe sidetracked a little bit, speaking upon the beginning of the church, the body of Christ, and why it did not begin the day of Pentecost, but this is so important. The Lord Jesus Christ, before his ascension, taught his disciples for 40 days. Read Acts chapter 1, verse 3. For 40 days concerning the kingdom of God and nothing about the church, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Following the healing of the lame man at the Jewish temple in Acts 3, Peter took the opportunity to preach Christ to the nation of Israel. In his second Pentecostal message, he stated that Israel were the children and they were still first in God's program, Acts 3.25 and 26. If the church, the body of Christ, began the day of Pentecost, how could Peter then state that Israel and not the church were the children and they were still first in God's program? That would be one chapter after Acts 2, the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, the middle wall of partition had not been abolished. Ephesians 2.14. Ephesians 2.14 says, For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, and that's between Jew and Gentile. It didn't gradually decay, it didn't gradually break, it was hath broken it. The nation of Israel had not been blinded and set aside on the day of Pentecost. On Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, the middle wall of partition, as we said, it had not been abolished. So surely when we understand, when we study where the church, the body of Christ did begin, we'll study and understand the middle wall of partition in a more comprehensive way. The day of Pentecost, Israel had not been blinded. And God was still dealing with that nation of Israel. 
And it's not likely that the church, the body of Christ, starting the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, before the kingdom had ever even been offered. Because the kingdom was not offered during the earthly ministry of Christ. It could not have been offered during the earthly ministry of Christ because you needed his what? You needed his, his death. Yes, Matthew 4, 17 says the kingdom is at hand, and it was at hand. But it was not offered. And that's why some would say, well, if the kingdom was at hand back at the time of Christ, why hasn't it come? And so they think it is a spiritual kingdom. No, it is a literal kingdom. Read Luke 1, 31, 32, 33. Also, on the day of Pentecost, the baptisms are absolutely different. The day of Pentecost... Lord Jesus Christ was the baptizer, and he baptized the believing nation of Israel with the Holy Spirit for power. Concerning the baptism for the church, the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit is the baptizer. The Holy Spirit baptizes the believer into complete identification with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we realize that. That's why Matthew 3.11 talks about, and if you read and study about Matthew 3.11, you will see... John baptized with water. There's one who's coming after John's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit for power. That was the day of Pentecost and with fire. There's nothing about the baptism that 1 Corinthians 12, 13 is talking about. In the Ephesians 4, 5, the one baptism. The baptism is mentioned in Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. That, that is not water baptism, folks. That places us into the church, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to understand that. If the church, the body of Christ, did not begin the Old Testament, the earthly ministry of Christ, or the day of Pentecost, when did it begin? And I'll, I'll be honest and, and perfectly confess, there's no specific Bible reference with a specific a book or a specific chapter and verse that states the beginning. But when you understand what is the church, the body of Christ, it's Jew and Gentile joint heirs in a body, then we can realize what's going on and we don't see that until the apostle paul and again that's why we want to talk about the book of acts being this transitional book how it begins and deals with israel and it ends up with the church the body of christ and that's why you will see things going on in the book of acts the issue of baptism the issue of speaking in tongues Yet there are some people who believe that speaking in tongues is still the order of the day. And remember, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 to 13, now and then. And we need to understand that phraseology. I, I trust that you will be thinking on these things, that you will study your Bible out, that you will rightly divide it so that you can be blessed of God to be living and serving Him today in the dispensation of grace. You have been listening to the Altoona Bible Church. We trust you've received a real spiritual blessing from this service. It is our prayerful desire that you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. So until we meet again by radio, this is Pastor Stuart McClellan from the Altoona Bible Church wishing you God's best for now and for all eternity.